Chelsea Fairless. And welcome to another And Just Like That rewatch episode. And just like that, we're doing this again. <laughs> and we have so much to unpack. We really do. I just wanted to thank everyone for leaving voicemails and listening to the last episode. It was our most downloaded episode, I guys. Know. We're going viral. We were number six on the arts charts. Do you know what's number one, Chelsea? The moth. <laughs> what's the moth? That NPR uh, people telling stories show. Uh, you know what? I'm like Miranda. I just don't listen to podcasts. So I've never really heard of that. Yeah, we really didn't get into that last episode of how unrealistic it would be that Miranda doesn't listen to podcasts. That's true, because as you'll remember on Sex in the City, Miranda was always at the forefront of technology, whether it was smartphones or TiVo. You know, I it's hard for me to believe that she would just jump ship like this. And during the pandemic, she wouldn't have become obsessed with Wondery podcasts and just like sending Charlotte and Carrie and anyone who would listen like, have you listened to The Shrink Next Door? Can (laughs) you believe what happened in episode four? Yeah, she would for sure. We have gotten calls about this and we are going to get to some listener calls in a second. But I also want to mention that we have a very special guest or two very special guests coming on later in this episode which is Molly Rogers and Danny Santiago, the costume designers of And Just Like That. And our new besties. And our new besties, apparently. So as Chelsea said, we have some calls on the hotline that were just too good that we needed to respond to. If you would like to leave a call on the hotline, the number is 323-486-6773. We just noticed that in um, the first minute of the second episode of And Just Like That, (laughs) Steve has sleep apnea. There's a sleep apnea machine on the bedside table. Okay, so obviously aging is a central theme in and just like that, but I want to bring attention to the fact that people in their 50s aren't that old. I have a lot of friends that are in their 50s and they don't act like this. Like, I feel like Steve is written as an octogenarian and, you know, my dad's in his 80s and feels more sprightly and youthful. Yeah, I mean, my parents are in their 60s and they very rarely mention, start sentences by saying, you know, as a 66-year-old. It's something I noticed in the first two episodes, but really became clear in the third episode, especially when um, Harry was bragging about his stream. His stream. And And he wasn't (laughs) referring to podcasts. I want to thank this eagle-eyed listener, watcher? Listener. Listener of our podcast, watcher of the show, Because I didn't notice the sleep apnea machine. Like, good on the prop department. Yeah, they just found a subtle way to make him even less hot. And explain why they're not fucking. (laughs) Just another reason. How can they fuck? He's got to put the sleep apnea machine on. Yeah, that was the final nail in the coffin. All right, next call. Hello, lovers. This is Maggie in California. I cannot understand, and I haven't seen anybody talking about it, is what the fuck is the opening title card? I pulled this call, Chelsea, because I knew you would have feelings about such a thing. The title card. (sighs) Dear listener, you are not the only one who is concerned about this. The title card for And Just Like That does look like something that we would do on Instagram stories, like when we're doing SpawnCon or something. (laughs) Like, it's like that level of design. Okay, and I also want to say something because I feel like even since we started recording this episode, it feels like we're just dragging in just like that. I want to say that I'm very much enjoying watching this show. The fact that we have 45 minutes of this every week is truly a godsend. But I think the hard thing with Anne just like that is we can't not compare it to Sex in the City. And Sex in the City had a very good title sequence. This is a perfect example of that. It's healthy criticism and is done from a place of love. Obviously, if we hated the show, we wouldn't even bother. So I guess that's a... Yeah, we wouldn't watch it, let alone feel the need to talk about it. I agree. And I I shortened this call for, for length reasons, but the caller also gets into the fact that it had one of the most iconic, not only opening sequences, but the song, the dun, 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 dun. And even in the films, they had other artists kind of reimagine the song, but we needed like the slow 
slowed down TikTok version of that song. <laughs> oh, slow reverb, please. If we have any Gen Z listeners call it. If yeah, have- can someone make that for us? Can someone make what should be the end just like that theme song? Because I would love to hear it. I was also surprised that they chose to do a title card because the show Girls having a title card felt like a reaction to the Sex and the City theme and intro sequence. And I was almost certain that they would just do their answer to that, the Sex and the City intro sequence for And Just Like That. Because I feel like we've come all the way around from being anti-title sequence to like being really into title sequences. Yeah, now I want it again. And now every streaming show that is geared towards a millennial audience has that girls type title card all of them every single one hi i'm annie okay since i watched the episode yesterday the first two episodes of just like that i'm distraught but the major thing i'm distraught at is my favorite thing i used to do is watch two episodes of sex in the city and peloton and now i can't do that anymore i don't think so if you guys have any suggestions of shows to watch let me know all right that's it bye i think the most important show to watch if you've never seen it is six feet under i'm sure we've talked about this before however we should warn you if you don't know about six feet under each episode does begin with someone dying but i don't believe that anyone ever died well actually one guy died at the gym while running on a treadmill remember yeah although well you will sometimes get deaths like a woman that gets hit by a truck because she believes the rapture is happening, but really what happened was a sex doll got released from a truck and she saw it in the sky and thought yeah. the rapture was happening. That's truly the best one. Um, and I would also recommend Law & Order SVU because there's 10,000 episodes of it. You don't have to start from the beginning. Start from like season three when Olivia Benson has like a dikey haircut and they've worked through a lot of the issues that plagued the earlier episodes of the show. I will say... I too, well, you're calling because now you realize you can't watch and just like that on your Peloton. But for me, because this is basically our job, kind of a job. Yeah. I've needed Sex and the City detox after this. So I went back and watched my other adolescent preoccupation show, which was Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which it also involves a pithy blonde having romantic issues with a tall, dark brunette man. I don't know what that says about me. (laughs) But I don't know, just going back and watching comfort shows has been really nice. I would also suggest Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills if you've not gotten into it, Real Housewives of New York, the original show about women in their 50s and their dysfunctional love lives on the Upper East Side. It's been a real up and down week for Peloton, but I think one of the highs is what this caller is about to encapsulate. Okay, the Peloton ad, all I have going through my head right now is Petrovsky's little 30-year-old curator saying, genius, genius. So we should say we're recording this Thursday late morning, a few hours before we started recording. The Hollywood Reporter dropped an article that details two women who, who have accused Chris Noth of sexual assault. He has denied these allegations. We encourage everyone to go read this Hollywood Reporter article. There's nothing more we could say beyond that. Yeah, I mean, maybe we'll talk about it a little more on the next episode. But at the moment, we're just kind of blindsided by it, as are the uh, the Peloton PR people, I'm sure. Can you imagine that? And also what was in page six today is that the Peloton CEO canceled the Peloton Christmas party. And then all the employees found out that he had a private swanky Christmas party. It's just PR crises left and right. So on Sunday, Peloton debuted a commercial featuring Ryan Reynolds' voiceover. It was a commercial that was put together in 24 hours by Ryan Reynolds' commercial production company he evidently has. I don't know. I mean, it definitely looks and sounds like something that was thrown together that quickly. My biggest shock is that they were able to like close Chris Noth's deal that quickly. But I guess they must have just thrown an obscene amount of money at him. And he was like, sure. I mean, they claim that the that the ad cost $80,000 to produce. But I assume that's the that cannot include his fee. Uh, this is so dark. Um, Speaking of dark, our next call. Hi, ladies. This is a fellow Chelsea calling. I have a very strong thought on Carrie saying, and just like that, they died. It was so fucking jarring. We all hated it. (laughs) And it's because Carrie wouldn't have said, and just like that, big died. She would have said, and just like that, 
Big was gone. This is the truest shit that I have ever heard. Big was gone is extremely Carrie because she always likes to romanticize everything and therefore sugarcoat everything. I don't believe that she would disrespect him by saying Big is dead. That's like callous. That's like something we'd say. That's very true, but maybe it speaks to a new Carrie. A broken Carrie. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Chelsea. The thought occurred to me that while we definitely expected that Big would die, isn't it kind of like tiring of Big leaving Carrie? So this is the caller that encapsulates what I've been feeling that I couldn't put into words about the first two episodes, which is he left her for Paris, he left her at the altar, and now he just left her in life. It is a bit of a repetition of narrative. Yes. Over the weekend, Michael Patrick King, who is the showrunner of the show, Daddy MPK, did some interviews, and he said this of choosing to kill off Big, which was dying was the origin story. Nobody wanted to come back if the show was not going to be different. This is Lauren's commentary on this sentence. I would say that it is not different, per the caller, my feeling that like he just keeps leaving yeah. Carrie, but fine. When I told Chris that Mr. Big dies in the first episode, he definitely knew it wasn't going to be the same, and we had to talk about it. He really wanted to talk about why he's dying and what it does to the series. The more we talked about it, the more he understood that it was for Carrie and Carrie's storyline. It is better to have loved and lost than never loved at all. I agree with that, of course. I think anyone, any sane person would. But I also think there might be just a slight degree of sadism to this because he also was quoted in Variety saying that there's no voiceover except for one line at the end. That's because Carrie has no overview. I destroyed her world. She has one sentence at the end of every show. That's it. That to me... I, who knew that Michael Patrick King was basically like Lars von Trier or something? <laughs> like, is Carrie Bradshaw actually that different from like Nicole Kidman in Dogville or Bjork in Dancer in the Dark? Or like, Kristen Dunst in Melancholia? Actually, though. Yeah. Now I'm liking the series <laughs> if this is Lars von Trier's Sex in the City. And just like that, Dogma 95. <laughs> Can you imagine the Dogma 95 version of it just like that? And then finally, guess what, Chelsea? We pronounced something wrong. Us? <laughs> Hello, I am a Spanish-speaking Latina who also guiltily loves Sex and the City. And I just wanted to let y'all know that it's pronounced Che, not She. Um, I'm sure you're going to say their name in the future. And I just wanted to let y'all know. Let me know if you have any other Spanish pronunciation questions for me. Love you guys. Bye. Thank you for this call. We hear you. It's Che. Che. It's Che. If we mispronounce it, it's not because we're doing it deliberately. It's because we're dumb bitches. <laughs> but thank you for calling and, and letting us know and informing the audience as well. So speaking of Che Diaz, my favorite podcaster and stand-up comedian. <laughs> Go on. This episode of And Just Like That starts in the podcast studio. I continue to hate this podcast because they're shock jocks, but they're also PC. Like, is that a genre of podcast that exists? It's this fantasy where it's NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me smashed in with like an early odds version of Loveline. Yeah. And they seem to not be taking any calls or answering anyone's questions. They just seem to be talking about their lives. I also think that we need that trigger warning sound effect for our podcast, which is kind of surprising that they have that because that seems like, again, something that like a conservative shock jock would use facetiously. Again, I just I totally cannot find my North Star with this show because you're right. It's like, wait, because Che also says to I mean, the comedian Bobby Lee is who's playing the, the other co-host that joking about having sex with a minor is never okay, especially when it's a joke that bad. Where I'm like, wait, so if it was a particularly excellent joke, that would have been like kind of okay? I think that you can get away with anything if the joke is good enough. I would also agree, but we would definitely be canceled if we were on this podcast. <laughs> For sure. I do really love the outfit that Carrie is wearing in this scene, which is like the Gucci bag across her body. And then she has some sort of like polka dot poofy shirt and then another like shirt layered under it I thought that was a great outfit it's very classic Carrie 
do we think that the Gucci like waist belt? It's not bag the same as the one that she wore in the show. I, in season I checked. four, okay. yeah, no, it is a very similar bag, but it is not an identical bag. No, which she wore as a um, as a belt bag in that episode where she went to scout. Right, she went to scout. This is the episode she's convinced that Aiden's probably cheating on her as retribu- retribution, which I guess is another theme in this episode about being cheated on the one that you cheated with. Total retribution. So after the podcasting commences, Carrie meets up with Miranda and they go to comb through Big's will with some lawyer. Yeah, the and, the will reading. Yeah, and and Big's longtime assistant, which we had posited as many people who called in and DM'd us over the last week that Gloria would have delivered the death blow of like, oh by the way, he's been with Natasha, or Natasha's in his life. Gloria seems equally as shocked. Yeah, there is this provision. I guess the money that's bequeathed to colleges is also under where (laughs) Natasha gets money. (laughs) The endowment clause of the will. Yeah, obviously everyone is shocked by this news. So then we have a fun scene with Charlotte and Stanford at a restaurant. They're about to they're waiting for Miranda and Carrie to join them. And Stanford confronts Charlotte and says, you think I'm not part of the inner circle, which I loved because, again, this is something we've talked about so much. Stanford has been systematically excluded from this group, so it's nice to see this being addressed. Yes, uh, that is obviously a bit of, of fan service, which we appreciate, but also within the reality of this world, you would have thought that Stanny would have brought this up uh, previously. But... Sooner than 2021? <laughs> yes, one would think. But However, Stanford has my favorite line. Well, uh, two of my favorite oh, lines. Yeah. Because we are often... Of course, we have the same favorite line from this episode. Well, but my other favorite distinction he makes is because we are often a three-top, you, Tat, and myself. And it is true. A three-top is pretty much always a four-top. It's always a four-top. He's correct. And he, he justifies this by saying, I would know... I was a host at Odeon in the 80s. How do you think I know Brett Easton Ellis? Which I love. Love it. Those kind of cultural references are something that was really great about Sex in the City and something that New Yorkers particularly appreciated. The ones that didn't resent Sex in the City for the explosion of cupcake shops and tourists and stuff. Honestly, I wish they would do... You know, online they'll do like little mini videos with characters. I would love just five minutes of Stanford talking about nightlife in New York in the 80s. So then Carrie and Miranda join them. What a downer. I think Charlotte has the best lines actually in this scene, which is I saw Natasha at Bergdorf's pre-pandemic, which was great. And when she says uh, to Carrie, you and Big were the happiest couple that I know. And then, <laughs> and then immediately is, it turns to Stanford and, and Miranda and like, I'm, I'm sorry. And they're like, it's fine. Yeah, like, we, we get it. We get it. Yeah, I loved that. You notice that this is the scene from the quote unquote leaked script that Page Six posted. Yes, of course. Miranda, yet again, asking for her red wine. She's like, where the fuck is my wine? Not even just like a nice Chardonnay. It's lunch. Also, something we didn't mention, but what happens at the beginning of the scene between Charlotte and Stanford is Charlotte is making a point, I guess, to find new restaurants that she would have never been to with Big or Or Samantha. Samantha. I know. I loved that. Does that mean Charlotte's going to have to start going to the outer boroughs to find new spots? Probably not, because the whole thing about Manhattan is that like all the restaurant best restaurants are going out of business anyway and being replaced by new restaurants, so... You know, I would have loved if they were at the newly reopened pasties. Yeah, I feel like they have to shoot there. Did they? They should. So Carrie is obviously frazzled by the, the Natasha of it all. So she starts to go through big shit. She tries to break into his computer. The lawyer who's having a fight with his wife basically puts a little bomb in her head that detonates and it's like, oh, well, usually when someone gives someone money like this, it's for an unresolved issue, which makes you think, did they have a kid? Were they having an ongoing affair? But all Carrie really is able to find is a Pinkberry punch card and a photo of his childhood dog, I guess. Yeah. Which he kept in his wallet. Goji. She had never heard about Goji. I was more puzzled because she goes to his computer and tries to put his password in, but it's like 
I even know my parents' passwords to their computers. Yeah, well, what did she try and put in? Like, ever mine, ever thine, ever ours. And it just, it just maxes out on, <laughs> on letters. Yeah. She's like, God damn it. So Rose's non-binary plot line is officially kicking off, right? I'm fine with this storyline. I think <laughs> you don't seem fine with it. It's a storyline that obviously makes sense. I just have a hard time believing a child that was born in 2008 wouldn't have come out as non-binary three years ago. And I'm a little intrigued that they just didn't start the series off with Rose being non-binary. Well, I'm more confused about how old Rose is because apparently she's so young that she doesn't know what a hand job is. And Charlotte is literally in bed reading to her like she's five. That was upsetting. (laughs) And like cuddling her. So I kind of, I can't figure out if she's supposed to be like 10 or if she's like 15. And it's a very childish book that Charlotte is reading, Rose. Instead of like, it should be like 13 Reasons Why or something. Yeah. I'm not a girl mom. Although I guess you could call me a baby. That's still fine. Yeah, she has no issue with baby. Which Um, I do. I don't (laughs) want to be called baby. (laughs) This flusters Charlotte, which you would think in the Upper East Side, very liberal private school, that there would have already been like a parent-teacher conference about non-binary children? Yeah. I mean, if I was Charlotte, I would be more distressed by Lily's weird floral headphones than Rose maybe being non-binary. Anyway, Carrie's walking. She's a walking fool. How many steps do you think she did is doing in those days? Like 20,000? Well, I kind of appreciated that because as a as a former New Yorker and insomniac. Well, walking around the city aimlessly in no direction is like a legitimate coping strategy. Like I've definitely done that before in times of turmoil. And I think that a lot of New Yorkers do. So that to me seemed very legit. Although maybe not walking um, miles in giant Terry de Havilland, I think platform shoes, but whatever, that's another story. Well, those are her sneakers. Right. Do we want to get the Char and Anthony bread scene? Yes. So pun intended, they seeded this in the first two episodes that Anthony has a bread company, but you learn one, he's working out of a ghost kitchen, which I didn't know if you got that that's yes. what's going on. Okay. And two, it all came because he was one of those people that started making bread in the pandemic. Yeah. Again, it's like something that like, does this need to be tied back to the pandemic? Like we know what world these characters are living in. But one thing I really, really loved about this scene was when he was talking to an angry customer on the phone and he was like, being hot is not subjective. You're either hot or you're not. And it's like true. Anthony is really the funniest thing on this show. Oh, it, he and Stanford, yeah, and it seems like Che in a way is are all Samantha stand-ins, yeah, in what in one form or another, for sure. So just to just to really drill down in Anthony's business, they operate out of a ghost kitchen <laughs> during the day, and the idea is like an old school milkman. Their <laughs> hot guys are delivering bread door to door, I guess, because it doesn't seem like. They're making like bagel sandwiches. And then when you're hung over, like a super hot guy delivers it. Yeah, this is this falls somewhere between a milkman and like a topless housekeeper <laughs> that you can like hire to come over or something. So Charlotte asks Anthony, like, Rose doesn't think she's a girl. What should I do? And he's like, just ignore her. <laughs> ignore, <laughs> ignore them, you mean. Which is like... Maybe don't go to Anthony. Like, it's my experience that, like, like cis gay guys in their 50s don't have the most, like, nuanced understanding about gender identity. Well, I do think that this is true to life of people who are gay of a certain age because it reminded me of this Ellen DeGeneres interview. Was she interviewing Elliot Page? Would that have happened yet? Or Kate McKinnon? But Ellen DeGeneres was like, everyone looks at me and thinks I know what's going on, but like, I don't I don't know everything that's going on. And it, that felt the same with Anthony. It's like, yeah, just because he's gay, he's not going to know about... Yeah, I would almost rather him have been, instead of being like, ignore it, be like, I don't fucking know. Like, you think because I'm gay, I know about this shit? (laughs) I wanted to be Tinkerbell as a child. (laughs) Did my mom cut holes for my fairy wings in my school jacket or whatever the fuck he said? What was I going to become? A fairy? Don't say anything. (laughs) It's like, yeah. 
But um, see, these are the type of jokes I want. Yeah, totally. Totally. We really, really need them. I get it. And I love the interactions and the interplay between all of the characters. But wouldn't Charlotte be on Google being like, my girl says she's not a girl? <laughs> yeah, I want to see her doing that Google. <laughs> Like Guys, she did on the show when she was... Uh, for Trey's dick. Yeah. So then we go to Miranda and Steve's house. Love that they are streaming addicts. Love that Steve is scrolling through HBO Max. I Perfect. noticed. And they have a pandemic ritual of making ice cream. I also noticed somehow Miranda's in the kitchen. He's in the living room and he can hear her. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that too. <laughs> it is during this time that... Carrie calls to be like, hey, I wrote her an email, which, as we learned in season four, when Carrie gets AOL just to email Aiden, this is never a good idea. Right. And Miranda's trying to talk her off from a ledge. But when Carrie gets to this point, there's no there's no getting her back. And as previously established, Carrie knows how to use Instagram, a very dangerous thing. She finds Natasha on Instagram, which how because she uses her married name but fine and then gets blocked by natasha on instagram the biggest slight in this age so at this point carrie has no choice but to literally stalk her at her job a nice throwback to when she stalked her on her lunch hour so first they pull up to her job and wait for natasha to arrive and lucky for them she instantaneously <laughs> arrives like the perfect minimalist that she is but she's wearing flats. Bless bless Charlotte for trying to. <laughs> what a diss. Carrie's like, okay, I'm going to go up and talk to her. Miranda and Charlotte are like, okay, we're going to chill at Starbucks and wait for you. Which explains the sequence of Carrie going to Starbucks. Because when we saw the paparazzi photos, we were like, well, she would never go to Starbucks. Yeah, why are they going to? La Pan is right there. And in Starbucks, Charlotte finds out that Miranda is probably an alcoholic. Yeah, because she finds um, empty little mini bottles of Tito's in her backpack like she's fucking Amy Adams in Sharp Objects. <laughs> is she drinking vodka because she thinks no one can smell alcohol on her breath? Like, why? I don't know. If she was a legit alcoholic, she'd also have a little bottle of Listerine in there. It's interesting where we are with Miranda in the storyline. We're only three episodes into a 10-episode series, and this is obviously going to be an arc of hers. Michael Patrick King in that Vanity Fair article basically confirms this storyline, but she's not at a place where she's embarrassed by it. But I don't drink often, but if I had to get, I don't know, if I was nervous for a flight or something and got a bunch of mini vodka bottles, you know the first thing I would do once I finished them? Throw them away. <laughs> Why is it still in her backpack? It's true. And you know what? I'm just going to say it. She's a high-functioning alcoholic. She is. She, she's a whole-ass girl boss. I don't think we've established yet with Carrie that there is a bit of self-awareness of her previous behavior and why the Natasha thing bothers her so much is she mentions the fact that I always feared that I wasn't good enough for Big. Right. That he always regretted marrying me. Yeah. Which I don't know if he came back after leaving you at the altar. <laughs> I mean, it's just clearly a very messy situation. And speaking of messy, I feel like we also need to acknowledge that Miranda discloses to Charlotte that her and Steve have not had sex in years. The plot of the first film is that Steve cheats on her because they haven't had sex. But I guess what's different now is Steve also doesn't care about sex. Right. Well, also, it's like from the time that Steve was introduced, Miranda was saying shit like he's not really a core shaker. Like, he doesn't really get me off. Like, that was literally how he was introduced on this show. So you can't really be that surprised that 20-something years on, they don't fuck. And it's another repetition of a storyline of Miranda kind of being bored with Steve. So Carrie marches up to Natasha's office wearing the studded belt from the first film. Roger. Yes. Natasha's assistant says that she's in Rome, but of course... They just saw her. She's not yeah, at Rome. she's not at Rome. I would have loved if they did Oh, that's the... why this episode is called When in Rome. Yeah. 
I couldn't figure it out. I was like, how does it relate to the theme? And that's what it is. Okay, yeah. I got it. Sorry, well, that, that took a minute. When in Rome, uh, stalk your ex-husband's ex-wife. Also, no love for Big's first wife, the uh, children's book editor we meet in season one that Carrie has to come up with the uh, children's book that is... Uh... Carrie and her magical cigarettes or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah why didn't she get a million dollars? I guess Carrie stalked her too. Wow, this this behavior goes back a long time. Because it she... does. I mean, she stalked Big and his mom to their church. She stalked Aiden. Natasha, I mean, all of it. Is Carrie Dexter? <laughs> The Dexter reboot is something else we need to talk about, but not now, not today. Um, I did really love how after Carrie left Natasha's office en route to Starbucks, she was muttering to herself, like walking down the street in a way that I feel like we did see her do on the show, but does feel a little bit like crazy lady talking to themselves on the streets of Manhattan sort of thing. Well, now I'm wondering... Has Carrie's voiceover always been just Carrie muttering on the streets of New York? So the next scene we see Charlotte using the most giant floss pick I've ever seen in my life. And of course, Harry is peeing forcefully in the background. I don't know if it's forcefully. I think it's not forcefully. That's what he's so happy about. We know in a future episode, because it was shown in like the season to come, that Charlotte blows Harry and gets caught by one of their kids. And I was like, is this when she blows him? <laughs> I hope not. Carrie, yet again, cannot sleep. We should mention Carrie is in the very controversial Paisley dress. Yes, like the Indian printed dress that we will get into with Molly and Danny a little later in this episode. She's also carrying the highly coveted Gucci Balenciaga hacker hourglass bag, which is fabulous. I would have loved more scenes of Insomniac Carrie at four in the morning putting outfits together. I think it would be more like Carrie just like buying crazy shit on like Net-A-Porter at like 3 a.m. That's true. So yeah, Carrie meets up with Miranda. They have a little chat. Miranda in her giant backpack who really does feel like the new Samantha. <laughs> what if the backpack just starts talking? <laughs> Honey... You're, you're way better at doing Samantha voice than me. Honey. <laughs> I guess both of us are terrible. No, I was trying to think, what would... What, what would, would it say? What would backpack Samantha say? <laughs> Honey, Tito's? <laughs> We're all drinking Stoli again. I met Ryan Reynolds and I love aviation gin now. <laughs> oh my God. So Carrie can't let it go. Because Carrie can't let anything go. I well, mean, also fair enough. And it's been like a day. Like, should she let it go? Like, probably not. Anyway, they have a little heart to heart. Then she calls Charlotte, who is walking Richard Burton. To me, Richard Burton is the star of And Just Like That. This is obviously a watershed moment for bulldog representation. <laughs> so because this is so precedented, I just wanted to get the perspective of an actual dog. So joining us today is my bulldog, Francis Quito. Francis Quito, what did you think of Richard Burton? <laughs> I think he loved it. Tens across the board. When Charlotte refers to Richard Burton as Mr. Burton, it made me wonder, do you call Francis Mr. Mr. Quito? Does I do sometimes, yeah. Is it Quito or Quito? It's Quito, but because of Tat's Australian accent, it's kind of gotten, you know, because it's like Q-U-I-T-O. Also, I want to say I really love how Charlotte has repurposed a Burberry coin purse as a little holder for her poo bags a little poopy bag like that's so charming to me and a, a, a detail i really love from the costume department also are we supposed to believe that carrie has never been to the upper west side miranda lived on the upper west side for years she's yeah. like what is this magical place 82nd in amsterdam well plus she has money you know if you have money in new york like you go to the upper west side i thought you were saying she has money so she never goes cross town <laughs> No, it's like there's too many fabulous things up there to just like write off that neighborhood entirely. I mean, there's apparently a great matcha place. That's what I was going to say. Carrie's got to get her matcha. And then uh, we learned that Natasha is one of those people that doesn't lock the bathroom door. Which does not make sense. She would be one of those people that like 
is like has the hand standing up with like the hand on the door. I guess the door. Hand in like a in a glove because it's coronavirus. It's been a minute since we've had that zany sex in the city kind of physical comedy. So I did appreciate Carrie opens the door. Natasha's there in a very prone position. She is hovering over the toilet seat, which I did appreciate. This episode in general did feel a lot closer to sex in the city than the previous two episodes, I think. Also getting, you know, the proverbial pie on the face for both characters I thought was interesting because it's obviously very embarrassing for Natasha as well. And then Carrie burns her hand, which I did not get the first time I watched it or until Natasha acknowledges the very severe burn on (laughs) Carrie's hand. I think she's got a lawsuit on her hands. Yeah, I really loved seeing how angry Natasha was. And I really loved the line where she said something to the effect of like, what are you going to do next? Hunt me down in the showers at equinox which did seem like a natural progression of carrie's behavior it did but carrie's never been a gym member and never will be respect again carrie has a very severe burn that i was can she just not feel pain anymore going back to the lars von trier of it all of course of course she has some sort of horrific burn carrie exclaims that she doesn't understand why natasha's on the upper west side she doesn't even live live here to which natasha looks at her and carrie has to admit yes i know where you live but you know what they work it out they bond they do over the uh, emotional iceberg that is John James Peterson. <laughs> Preston. Preston. Why do I keep... I always call him Peterson. <laughs> it's like Jordan Peterson. <laughs> Their mutual husband. I think Mr. Big has definitely read a Jordan Peterson book or two. For sure. I think this scene wraps up the whole Carrie Natasha drama quite nicely. Yeah, I wanted to ask you how you felt about it because I'm kind of of two minds, which is... It definitely answers questions that if you watch the original series, you would have had. It is a little interesting that, again, this is being dealt with in 2021. But I don't know. I was a little disappointed that it's a bit of a letdown, that there isn't more to the story. It's just like, she's like, I don't know why he left me this money either. But sometimes we don't get all the answers we want in life, Lauren. And then I did enjoy, it felt like an Easter egg of Carrie acknowledging Big's vague career, which is like, you know, he's a finance guy. He's not good with words. <laughs> yeah, I loved that. I loved the acknowledgement of that. I think bringing Natasha back was great. I think it was satisfying. It was giving us fan service. Although, of course, we're not super shocked by it right now because we knew that this was happening because this entire scene was papped. With things like this, it does take away a little bit from the finished product and it's it's not their fault and we're definitely complicit in this as we are amplifying (laughs) these messages and photos and you know sharing them widely it does make me wonder if we are going to get Aiden back in a similar way because he was confirmed to be in the cast but we have not seen any photos of John Corbett I wonder if this is something they shot as a self-contained scene or episode in the way that the Natasha storyline was handled. Because I think a lot of people, when they heard John Corbett might be in this new series, theorized of like, she could get back with Aiden, which is like, how many times can this woman destroy this man's life? Okay, here's my idea. Okay. A bottle episode that is just Aiden and Carrie because they are both trapped for an hour in that long-ass elevator at the podcast <laughs> studio. The never-ending elevator? Yeah, and they come to each other at a different place in their life and have this brief sort of moment of intimacy and reconnection. That's my pitch. And then that's how you could actually hide Aiden's involvement or John Corbett's involvement on this show by having it be entirely on set. Is Aiden going into the podcast studio to take a meeting about a furniture show? Yeah, he's on, you know, there's design podcasts. Like, he's on one of those. You can't tell me that there wouldn't be an HGTV show of Aiden. Oh, he's such an HGTV hunk. Aiden and Suffren? Oh, he fixes up Suffren homes? I think it's just like upstate adventures with Aiden Shaw. It's just him going to, it's like, oh, I, I went to this crumbling Victorian schoolhouse to salvage these wood floors and install them in some rich person's house or something. Why are we fantasizing about shows within shows that would never <laughs> exist? So now shall we get into Che's Netflix special? You mean their Hannah Gatsby moment? Sure. It was kind of their Nanette mixed with like Leah Delaria type stand-up mixed with like Tony Robbins. 
and delivered a bit like Oprah's You Get a Car. You can change. You can change. You can change. Speaking of Oprah, Miranda and Charlotte were having like full aha moments during their entire set. Well, Charlotte, speaking of repetitive kind of emotional beats, Charlotte's storyline, especially in the first film, is just being thankful for her family. Right. Just calling different family members, whether it's Harry or Rose, and being like, I see you. I appreciate you. Yeah. Well, and her big takeaway from Che's stand-up was that she just needs to be a supportive parent to her non-binary child, which she already is. Is. She can um, maybe look up the phrase, but <laughs> watch some YouTube videos. Yeah. I mean, I would sooner kill myself than sit through this set, which did feel like it was talking down to the audience a little bit, right? I mean, because it, it's explaining what being non-binary is to cis people in a way that feels a bit corny. Do you mean stand through this special? Because I felt for Charlotte when she was like, um, when you said we had VIP seats, I would have assumed there were seats. <laughs> well, also, I don't understand their line about non-binary media representation where they were like, we're always at murder scenes, but never at birthday parties. I'm like, what non-binary murderer is there? I think they meant as, as dead bodies. It's the, it's the kill your gaze trope. Yeah, but is that really a trope? I mean, trans women, sure, but... Your NBs? No. I just, I haven't seen it. Obviously, this is dialogue written by the writers for this character to say, but the writers could do what they're saying and put Che at a birthday scene. That could have easily been Che's birthday party. Yeah. Che just is the drug dealer at funerals. <laughs> they want to make us drug pushers at funerals. What? <laughs> Well, also, they're like, you know, I'm happy. I have my community. I have my allies. It's like, who the fuck talks about their allies? Chelsea, can you tell me a bit about your allies? I guess you're my fucking ally. <laughs> but like, would I ever be like, I'm grateful to my allies? You know, Chelsea, it's just as a straight cishet woman, like, I would like to be seen. And if you can acknowledge me as your ally, I'd really appreciate that. Okay, fine. You're my ally. You even have a letter in the fucking acronym now. Again, it's asexual. It's not ally, Chelsea. It is allies and asexual. I think it's both, <laughs> right? Chell, it's asexual and agender. What are you trying to say about my sexuality? Okay, okay. Well, for one thing, aren't asexuals just incels? Like, come on. I would rather it be allies. Wait, is this where our, our woke moment book? <laughs> 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 No, that's when trigger warning comes in. <laughs> trigger warning. Lauren and Chelsea's views are only of their own. No affiliation with HBO Max and can at times be problematic. It's okay. <laughs> Sorry, the Anthony Marantino just jumped out. So there's an after party, which are there after parties after Netflix comedy specials? Because usually they... Yes. I mean, I literally went to the Hannah Gatsby one for her last <laughs> Netflix special. See, I would have been Carrie and Charlotte. I would have been in that black SUV Uber with Hector. Yeah, I mean, I will say that Hannah Gatsby's after party was not as sordid as Che's, who's openly smoking weed in a bar. Someone called us and let us know that it's, I was incorrect. I thought weed was medicinally legal in New York City. I guess it is just recreational. You can't smoke legal. it indoors, though. Not even at your own after party? Anyway, this was a gripping scene. Yeah, we're not even getting to the best part of this scene. What we are referring to is Miranda ditches Carrie and Charlotte lying to them and being like, oh, my, my Uber's coming. Haven't we all done that? Anyway, Miranda goes back because she's like, I heard you. You were like, change. And I was like, I was going to go back to my brownstone and eat Sundays with my fucking husband I don't fuck. And I was like, no. Yeah, she had that like <laughs> amped up from Tony Robbins <laughs> vibe about her. And then they're like, okay, you need to chill the fuck out. What do you think Che is smoking? A sativa? A nice hybrid? Yeah, a nice hybrid. And offers weed and to Miranda. Yeah, and Miranda's like, oh no, I don't smoke weed. And I kind of think that you shouldn't push weed on people that are like, oh, weed doesn't agree with me because they usually just have panic attacks and like turn white as a sheet and run away, which is probably what would actually happen. Because then Che's like, oh, well... 
if you don't want to toot on my pipe, she doesn't say that, but she's like, I'll just shot, I'll just shotgun it into your mouth, which so many times you've been smoking weed. I've been like, I'm okay. And you've never offered to shotgun it into my mouth, Chelsea. Well, it's also in the era of COVID. It's just not very hygienic. I mean, I loved how dramatic it was. Like it was slow-mo or was it? Yes. I almost wish it lasted longer. Kind of like the scene of like Gwyneth Paltrow getting off the bus in the Royal Tenenbaums. <laughs> So Miranda accepts the smoke as best she could, but she immediately just like, like pushes it out of her mouth. And it felt so similar to when, in my mind, when Carrie admits to Miranda that she's having an affair with Big and you could still smoke in bars. And Miranda goes, give me a cigarette. And she goes, what? And she inhales without inhaling and immediately blows out the smoke. Very similar to this scene. It's a really perfect and subtle comedic beat to a moment which does actually have a bit of heat behind it. They do have chemistry. That is a very cool moment. But there seems to be a continued, as we've called it, doofusing. Yes. The doofusication of Miranda Hobbs. Yeah. Where she's kind of portrayed as... A doofus. A doofus. Yeah, exactly. Which wasn't something that plagued her in Sex in the City. She would have her moments where she was awkward, like she'd get adult braces or she'd go on terrible dates, that sort of thing. But she wasn't like clueless in the way that she is now, where she's majorly lacking in self-awareness and in just general savviness in social situations. But that's what I'm saying. If Miranda walked into that bar with season two Miranda energy, they'd already be fucking. Yeah, hard agree. Miranda is a promiscuous person or was a promiscuous person before entering into a sexless, depressing marriage. So I guess the fourth storyline that's opened up to Miranda is that sex can be good again. Yeah, I'm really interested for this sex scene. How graphic is it going to be? Is it going to be really graphic because they want to make a point about showing queer sex on television? Or is it going to be like what they often do in these sorts of scenes, which is like, we don't want to make this male gazy and have it be like really tight shots of like people moaning and shit. And will it be a Che's birthday party? I don't know. We'll see. So that was that. Now we have Carrie uh, going home. Carrie goes back to their marital abode and it just does not feel right. Did you feel like the doorman lighting up a cigarette is foreshadowing Carrie starting to smoke again? Yes, she's going to ask him for a cigarette. So she goes back to the apartment. And before we started recording, we sort of got into a discussion, which is like, why is Carrie just going to her apartment now? Yeah, I would go immediately just because my husband didn't die in the apartment. And also, most people do not have the advantage of being able to go to a different place. We Multiple get homes on uh, Uptown. So the end just like that in this episode was, and just like that, I walked myself home when she arrives at her, her old apartment. My first thought was like, Stanford has a spare key. Is he like jacking off in there? Like, you know, you never know. Is he having anonymous hookups in her apartment? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a plot line I would live for. Uh, final thoughts? My final thoughts are, I think we are getting back to an equilibrium of the original series. I think it's becoming a little more fun. I think as the episodes go on, more hijinks will ensue. Yeah. I miss hijinks. And there were hijinks in this episode, particularly the stalking Natasha thing. I am very excited to see where this goes, obviously. Yeah, I mean, we're going to be here. No matter what the episode is, we are going to be here each week recapping it for you guys. What were your thoughts, Jell? I mean, you just said them. I just said, yeah, I just said them. Although one thing I do want to mention is that we have received calls and DMs about a potential love interest for Carrie, which is that guy in the podcast studio who we assume is a producer. Yeah, I didn't think much of it until this episode where he chimes in on uh, something funny Carrie says. And I'm like, oh, they're definitely going to fuck. Yeah. So it seems like that's in the cards for our girl, Carrie Bradshaw. Good for her. Love that. And without further ado, let's get into our conversation with Molly Rogers and Danny Santiago. Hey guys, Danny's not able to join us due to technical reasons, but we're very excited to talk to Molly. So Molly, we played the voicemail that you left on the hotline last week when you were going to the premiere. How was the party? It felt 
surreal because it was in the old Barney's on Madison Avenue, which is now an event place called Art Space. And I was like, oh, this is where the men's ties used to be. It was cute, but it felt like a sex in the city after party, I guess, because the whole place was pink. There were umbrellas that had French fries hanging off of them. You know, (laughs) it was very themed and quirky and kitschy and goodbye. You could have, they had a whole jewelry store um, over where Goyard used to be that you could have candy jewelry. (laughs) I don't know. I think I was in shock. We had literally just finished filming on Saturday and that party was on Wednesday night. And I had been at SJ's dressing her for the red carpet. So I was exhausted. That totally checks out. I would love to know what the experience of watching and just like that with a group of people was like, because most people didn't get that. Like, what was the crowd's reaction when Carrie said, and just like that, Big died? I want to say it was a mix of quiet and gasps and sniffles. But the great thing was the night before I had watched it with the entire crew which is a lot of fun because everybody's screaming and throwing stuff. And it's just a really great way to watch it. It's unbelievable that we could keep that quiet. Up until it aired, I felt like maybe you guys know better, but I felt like people still thought it would be Samantha. There were a lot of theories floating around about what would happen in this. We definitely thought it was a possibility, but it, it didn't make it less shocking when it actually happened. I don't think anybody expected it to be him. But the day we were shooting it is the day we put her in with the bird on her head and the polka dot skirt. That was a fake Mm -hmm. scene with them. He flew in. I knew it. Did you? We posted those paparazzi photos, Chell, too. I know the outfit you speak of. I loved the bird on the head. But it's fun that we can experience that outfit that way through paparazzi photos. Like, I always loved how you guys did that when the movies were being filmed. Well, before we get into it, just like that, I think we want to back up a little bit and discuss your history with Sex and the City. Molly, you worked under Patricia Field as an associate costume designer for the series, the two Sex and the City films, as well as The Devil Wears Prada, which is basically our listeners' equivalent <laughs> to Citizen Kane. <laughs> I mean, it is. It, re- it really is. Do you have any standout memories, fashion, or otherwise from the series or the films? So many. I mean, you know, it's not uneventful when you're with Pat every day. Okay, there's always some drama happening or, you know, it's just an adventure every day. But the thing that stands out, I think one of the things that, I mean, I went into the hospital after The Devil Wears Prada. It killed me. That shooting schedule was really, really difficult. And one of our assistants did too. Like it literally broke Whoa. my backs. It was hell. But I'll never forget... um the day before we were going to shoot Meryl's, uh, what do you call it, with all the coats, montage. Right. The director, who I love, who lives down here, came in and told Pat that they were going to show Emily Blunt in every one of the changes of the, so she would need like 17, 18 more outfits. Uh, <laughs> and that's when you had a nervous breakdown. I took her to Century 21 at 7.45 and we started trying on Vivian Westwood in the middle of the store, not even going into the fitting rooms. And also, rest in peace, Century 21. You will be missed. I don't know how I personally do episodic television without it. I mean, we went there so much for all the girls in the original series. Carrie wore so much Century 21. It's a bitter pill to swallow that that is no longer there. I heard a rumor they were going to open one in South Korea, so I will go there and shop. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you didn't you didn't have Barney's this time around, and you didn't have Century 21. And everybody's store hours were reduced. They were still on COVID hours. It was a really small window. So there was, a, unfortunately, a lot of online stuff happening. 
Well, I guess we can get into and just like that. What was your thought process going into the series? Obviously, you have experience from the original series, the films. Were there things that you wanted to avoid? Did you have a vision going in with each of these characters? Or does it all start with the script and conversations with Michael Patrick King? Before we spoke to Michael Patrick King down here, Danny and I were both down here sunning ourselves. And before we talked to him and I'd spoken to the producer and I had signed on, I spoke with Danny and I was like, I, because we're coming out of Zoom and Doom clothing, I want to explode onto the screen and like color and the gratefulness that I'm alive. I just want to project a fireworks happening on the street of New York with all the girls clothes. And then we spoke with Michael Patrick King and found out that the first episode was a death and the second one was a funeral. And I was like, because <laughs> that idea. But Michael Patrick King did something so rare. He spent two and a half hours on a Zoom with Danny and I and pitched us the entire season and everyone's character arc for two and a half hours. And it was too much, you know. (laughs) I was flabbergasted. I started drinking. I was smoking cigarettes. (laughs) I have to know of all of the the main actresses that you're dressing, who's the most hands-on and who is like, fuck it, just put me in anything? Well, Sarah Jessica is so collaborative. I've never met an actress like Sarah Jessica that will try everything on. Even if she thinks this won't work or I hate that fabric, she wants to see it on before it leaves the room. Cynthia used to be, I hate clothes. By the second movie, she was like, (laughs) I don't give a fuck what this scarf looks like on my head, get it on. You know, I really felt that from her. But I think that was just a moment of being in a foreign country, maybe. Because she, they're all very collaborative. They all, you know, pick stuff out and say, oh, I love this. Could we try that on with the blouse you like? That's cool. It's a cool situation. So the Sarah Jessica Parker answer is not particularly surprising to us because we know that she kept all of Carrie's clothing. And so in this process, we know there are a lot of like Carrie Easter eggs from things that were in the original series. Did you have assistants like go through her storage unit or is that like, is that like the Smithsonian of Carrie Bradshaw? No one gets in. I don't trust any of those greasy, sticky fingers. (laughs) (laughs) any of it like I'm very possessive of it because first of all Pat and I bought almost all of it I don't let anyone paw through it it comes you know through guard robe it's delivered it's signed for it was kept in a locked room and I would Danny and I would start thinking and you know it was I don't want to treat the archives lightly I want to place things importantly because they're really beloved, you know, they're, when people see them again, it's like, wow, she has that. Even I was blown away when I opened a few garment bags. Well, for example, were we correct that in the first episode when they're watching Lily's recital, that that is, that flower brooch is from a season three Carrie flower brooch? That is what I was told by you guys, right? <laughs> I don't know. It looks pretty similar to me. It is. I mean, we really, as viewers, appreciate all of these fashion callbacks. Like I loved in the third episode, which we discussed today, the Gucci bag worn as a crossbody that was kind of harking back to Carrie's belt bag from season four. It is. That croissant, that flower is from a true episode, which one I don't know. Other people do. But... What we called the waterworks scene, the shower scene, because it had to be top secret and no one could, you know, say what it was. We had to have six outfits because she was going to get wet. And we had to take that damn flower to a theatrical place on Broadway and have them duplicate five more with the color of the petals and the size and everything. And... I want to tell you guys something that I haven't told anybody yet. That purple dress that she runs around Soho in chasing Natasha, that was Mm -hmm. supposed to be waterworks for about a month. We had six of them. And I was like, where are you going to find six 
Carolina Herrera after a pandemic. We have found them. Let's place it in waterworks. But you couldn't see her shoe. Ah, and you didn't want to do that to Roger the belt. We could have faked Roger a couple of times, but when she got down on her knees, the shoe was gone. Right. So I think it's time to talk about what we'll call Forever 21 Gate. Uh, Carrie was paparazzied wearing a long printed Indian dress that a handful of Instagram accounts ID'd as being from Forever 21. Although we quickly discovered that another brand sold an identical dress, the internet completely lost its shit over this. Do you now want to tell your side of the story? Granny loves to tell it, but since he's not here... I was furious because that was kind of the first big headline, I feel like, that came out while we were filming. Like, it was the first thing, I felt like, that everyone was talking about, and it was negative. So I was pissed. Danny bought that dress about five or six years ago in a thrift store, and it had no label in it. And MPK was really adamant about Carrie looking not really herself or pulled together when she runs into Natasha in the in the Starbucks in the bathroom. And we really were against sweatpants. <laughs> we appreciate that. Yeah. And that dress was hanging there. And I felt like it was very uncarry. I thought it was like something somebody would wear to Coachella. Uh-huh. <laughs> I could see that. It was so boho. And then someone had hand-painted a tiger or a leopard on a jean shirt. And she was kind of stumbling around New York like all day long. And I, I thought, okay, it works. And people went nuts thinking that we had put something of fast fashion on her. And we we never got to defend ourselves. I didn't want to start answering every wolf whistle. Of course not. I mean, Sex in the City fans are fucking crazy. That's one thing I know. And we deal with that sort of stuff too here and there. But like, are you able to tune these people out or do they just haunt you? I was not ready for the vileness. Like I, people were saying, kill them. <laughs> So once that, at least that happened right out of the gate. And then I realized, put blinders on and don't listen to anything because I wanted to have a good time. I don't think I made one judgment. I made one judgment in the fitting room over some comments, only one. Has that outfit happened yet? I was going to put the Judith Lieber cupcake purse on the shelf in um, Lily's bedroom. (laughs) And Kristen came into her first fitting and posted it on Instagram and people went nuts and they were going to find this kid and kill her too. And I was like, I was like, I guess, you know, that can't be like a little prop in her room. Are you guys happy? Do you see what you did? We could have had that great Easter egg in a shot. (laughs) Maybe let's chill out on the internet discourse. Is it At this point, an embarrassment of riches? I mean, do you guys have an unlimited budget or are there still constraints, people that won't loan to you, if I may ask? (laughs) No, it is. We have to be very careful. People above us have people they have to answer to. And people above us, I think, have the wrong impression that it just rains down on us, but not after a pandemic. You know, a lot of big houses had one sample set that they used to share with just the North America, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That sample set now was shared with North America, Europe, and Asia. In this most recent episode, I think the headline beyond Carrie in the uh, in the printed thrifted dress to me is the Balenciaga Gucci hacker bag. Was that one in existence at that point that you guys got or? They emailed me and said, we want to send you guys bags. I had never met the guy. It was amazing. Emailed me and said, we want to send you guys bags and we're going to send you one that hasn't dropped yet. And I was like, I'll get it. I will get it in immediately if she likes it. And she did. Unfortunately, I feel like the Forever 21 of it all kind of pulled focus on that great bag. Is it frustrating for you that all of these, or not all of these looks, but a lot of these looks from And Just Like That got papped before the show came out, right? So the public has seen them. How many of them have you been able to hide from us, roughly? Not enough. 
I was so distraught about how much was being shared and I didn't want to ask the girls to hide. I mean, of course we did for black event. That was a must, but you know, I'm not going to make you wear a bathrobe to set down the street. It's stupid. But every time we did an interior at the studio and it didn't have an adjoining walk and talk, I was like, oh yeah. Well, I suppose right now we should apologize, Molly, to you for our part in the <laughs> yeah, sharing sorry, of Molly. <laughs> that's that's on us. You two have nothing ever to say you're sorry for. Well, it does keep the show in the news cycle, right? Like I can True. see as a costume designer and a storyteller that that's frustrating but from a PR standpoint it's brilliant it's it's true it's um wonderful to have that much attention for sure because you know when are you on a show that gets that much attention maybe we are pushing our luck to ask this but any uh hints however cryptic about fashion or anything else for the rest of the season there's still surprises for sure i don't know if there is shocking uh, how could they There's things coming down the pipe. (laughs) Well, we are very excited. Molly, thank you so much for for speaking with us today and for being so fun and candid and and giving us the real tea about And Just Like That. Thank you very, very much for having me. That's it, guys. A big thanks to Molly Rogers. We hope to have her back maybe a little later on the season. And Chell, I don't know how we're going to top this episode next week. I don't know, but it seems like crazier and crazier shit is happening every single week. So God knows what's in store for us. Absolutely. All right, guys. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.